Oh, yeah. Coming at you live from the CSB studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey on EMTR Radio Network. This is the Passball Show brought to you, of course, by JohnPLA.com. Welcome aboard. Thanks for having a couple minutes. And as as always, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Thanks for, um, like I said, having the time to listen to me. But um, a lot of things going on. JohnPLA.com, Bases Empty blog, my 30 to 1 MLB countdown previews, the second edition is in full effect as I'm getting kind of right in the middle of my predictions. A lot of teams, I'm, I'm actually starting right now to get into the meat of teams that a lot of people think are good, but I don't think they're good enough to make the playoffs. And this is where the debate comes in. This is where I start getting the tweets and the yats and the, you know all that stuff, the blog comments, uh, people telling me I'm crazy because I think this team's going to be better than another team. Well, let's be honest. I mean, this is, all, this is all just a guess. This is an educated guess. You use your mind. You use uh, what, what you really think. And if your opinion differs than mine, come on. It's not the end of the world. I mean, I, you know, am I, am I the first person that, that has said that the Yankees won't make the playoffs this year? Does that make me insane? Does that make me not know what I'm talking about? If I think the Rangers are going to miss the playoffs or I think maybe – uh, another team might be better than nobody's thinking about. I mean, let's remember, who who had the Oakland Athletics making the playoffs and winning the AL West last year? Who had the Baltimore Orioles doing what they did, uh, you know, nearly taking, you know, taking the Yankees out in the playoffs? Nobody had either one of those teams in the playoffs. So are we all crazy because we didn't have them? It, the, the season plays out. You don't know what's going to happen. But I'll tell you what I'm able to do and what I'm, I'm glad that I'm able to do with this is – Mention the strengths and the weaknesses of each team. Because like I've said last week and I've said in other shows before, you look at the worst team in baseball, and a lot of people will agree that it's probably the Houston Astros. There are positive signs on that team. Not, not Maybe not enough to make the playoffs, maybe not enough to go on this crazy run and you know, shock the world, which I absolutely would. This would be like the Bad News Bears winning in a, you know, in a, in a movie. Uh, or, you know, the guys from Major League after the owner gets rid of all their players and puts in all these guys that can't play anymore, you know, the fact that they won, that, that would be kind of an example of that. But you don't know which team that nobody's talking about that's going to be able to go out there and exceed expectations. You know, we, we, all, we all think, like, hey, we, we, we're all going to trust baseball prospectus, and what baseball prospectus says is got to be the way. And in my opinion, it's not the way. And, 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 you know, all you have to do is look back at what happened last year with Oakland and with Baltimore and a year before with what happened with the Arizona Diamondbacks and even a year before that when nobody believed that the San Diego Padres had any business winning 90 games and nearly winning the NL West division. I mean, what happens if they win that division? You know, take it back to 2010 for a second. It was the San Francisco Giants that had a, a, a a uh, run at the end of the season to take out the Padres and take them down. And obviously the Padres contributed it by a bad second half. But what happens that season if the Padres win the, uh, the NL West? I mean, you got the eventual World Series champion, the Giants, who end up winning that division. But nobody tends to go back and think about how close they were from not making it and how close the San Diego Padres, a team that, uh, let's, be, let's be honest, talent-wise probably had no business being in the postseason, they were almost there. And nobody, you know, from baseball perspectives to all our experts, to everybody that claims that they know everything about baseball, nobody had that kind of faith in them. And this year, once again, and, and I'm not saying I know it, but somewhere along the lines, there's going to be a team that we're going to be like, hey, they don't belong in a race, but they're playing pretty well. Uh, they're exceeding expectations. They're winning way more games than they're losing, and we expected them to be in last place or at the bottom of the division or – not a factor and that's what's good about the predictions that i'm doing and it's not and i'm not i'm not telling you the way it's gonna be i'm giving you my educated guess over what i think will happen um you know listen you look back at what i did last year i mean some some instances i couldn't be any more wrong 
But the good thing about it is you, you, read, you read these posts, you get a really an in-depth team analysis of what happened last year, what they brought in, and a little kind of check into the farm system to think about uh, some players that could make an impact this year that nobody's really talking about. So check that out. JohnPielli.com, Bases Empty blog. Also, MTR Radio, I'm sorry, MTRmedia.com slash JohnPielli, where all my articles are posted every day. And I actually, when I get off the show today and I, I, I get into my preview for tonight, it's going to be my number 17 team in the countdown, counting down from 30 to 1. And it's going to be the New York Yankees. And what the New York Yankees are doing right now is they're, they're, in a, they're in a spot where they haven't gone out there. They haven't been the juggernaut. I've said it before. They haven't gone out there and got all the best players. They've taken a step back. And I'll tell you, if you look at the competition in the American League East, it's going to be tough for them to win 90 games. And I think a lot of people look at the 90-win barometer as far as being a playoff type of team. And looking at it from, from that perspective, I really would be surprised if the Yankees won 90 games this year. I think they, they need their starting pitching to be immaculate, not just good, not just Pettit, Kuroda, and Sabathia being healthy with Phil Hughes on his walk here, but they, they got to be pitching at, a, at an elite level amongst the best in baseball if they're going to carry that offense, which I think is, is missing out. The offense is down. The offense is not at a position where it needs to be. They lost a lot with Swisher and Russell Martin and uh, Abanez and even Eric Chavez and Andrew Jones, who helped the Yankees at certain points of the season. I don't even see players like you know like that on this team right now. And you throw in the injuries to Granderson and to Shara. And I tell you, if you're a Yankee fan, you're probably feeling something that you have not felt over the last probably better part of, what, 17, 18 years? I mean, it's, that's been a long time, and I understand. I mean, if you, especially if you're a, young, you're a young kid and you were four or five or six or ten when, when the Yankees started being good again. I mean, you might not know what to do with yourself. And, and I'm not saying it's going to be a long season. I'm not seeing, saying this team's going to go out there and lose 90 games. But I think for the first time in a while, the Yankees have to look at themselves as, as, as having their work cut out for them. And they really do. I mean, listen, their pitching could be good. But, I mean, are they going to be able to score runs? Who's going to step in? Who's going to play first base when Mark Teixeira isn't there? Who's going to fill in for Curtis Granderson? I mean, those are, those are the two guys outside of Robinson Cano that they're counting on to score some runs. I mean, I, I just don't see it. And I'm going to get into that today. I'm actually looking forward to the response. I'm looking forward to the blog comments, the tweets, you know, the messages and stuff like that about uh, Yankee fans, you know, bashing me for saying that the Yankees, in my opinion, have the 17th best team out of 30 in baseball. Because there's some people that absolutely do not want to hear that. But a lot of things going on here. Past Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. I'm going to reach out in a minute, and we're going to uh, make our first call into the day. And that's going to be our effort to try to reach with um, Randy Marshall. So, uh, you know, we're going to get into that in a little bit. And, um, you know, like I said, we're going to get on the Skype. We'll make this call out in a little bit. And I'm going to get into a little bit. I do think that uh, Brennan Bosch, and I'm going to make my case a little later on, that I think that he would be a decent, if not very good fit for the New York Mets. And some people may say, why, you know, why do you even want to deal with that? Why do you even want to bring in a guy that was just released by the Detroit Tigers? But, Let's be honest. Let's look at the Mets outfield situation. And if you tell me that, you know, this is a guy that can't come in here and put up some numbers and at least bring some respectability back to a, an outfield that I've said all along does not look good. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'd say you have to be in favor of it. I mean, to me, it's a, a it's a no really a no lose situation. If the guy stinks, you get rid of him. And, you know, I, I think it's a situation. And like I said, I'll touch on it a little bit later. We'll get on it a little more and we'll see how, you know, that discussion turns out. But right now we're going to reach out to former, uh, former uh, minor league pitcher Randy Marshall. And we're going to get into some things. I do want to ask him some good questions. Hopefully we get up here and, uh, you know, talk a little bit about this. But if not, we'll have to get to him later. But um, you know, once again, John Pielli, Passball Show. MTR Radio Network, and I tell you, man, every time we get these long, these long dial tones, man, you get a little worried. 
but we may have to reach out to him in a little bit. Yep. So we'll have to do that in a little bit. And uh, I'm going to get some sound effects up there and just kind of penalize these guys a little bit for not call, uh, not answering when I call in. But um, we're going to have to do it in a little bit. But, you know, a little more into the, the Brennan Bosch thing. And I, th- I think, you know, you obviously want to wait as this thing goes on and wait it out to see how things go with the waiver things. You, you Obviously, if he ends up, if he ends up going, uh, getting claimed by somebody, then that team's going to take on the $2.3 million that's on his contract. And I think that's something that has to be considered. I don't think you want to go out there and overdo it. Um, but, I mean, to me, he's not worth $2.3 million. He's a guy that would have been a fourth or fifth outfielder on a Detroit Tiger team that was good. But you know, most teams are better off doing their due diligence and letting this go out, letting him go through the whole uh, waiver process. And I think it's uh, I think it's something that you want to just wait. And then once he is a free agent and you could sign him to a minor league deal or just the major league minimum, you're better off. And, you know, you look at the guys like Marlon Byrd and Kirk Neuenheis, Jordani Valdis being Colin Cowgill, Mike Baxter – I think Bosch has the ability to be um, probably as good, if not better, than most of those guys. And I think that's I think that I think he is an upgrade. He's a guy that can hit about uh, fifteen to twenty home runs over the course of a full season. And I think it's a spot that the Mets should go for. I mean, you heard the Yankees maybe being involved in it. They just picked up uh, Ben Francisco, who's a guy who's capable of hitting some power for some power. Um, you know, Bosch, I think, is a guy that could thrive with the Mets, particularly because they're in a situation that they're not looking. You know, there's no there's no incumbents in any of the positions. Lucas Duda is the closest thing to a major league starter that the Mets have right now. And if, if you're if you're looking right now for opening day, and this is probably what I would get to if I was putting an opening day lineup. And in my in my opinion, I would go with probably Duda. I'd probably go with Marlon Bird. And my other outfield spot, I'd probably give to uh, Jordani Valdespin at this point. He's that he's had a good spring. It looks like the Mets are are looking to to use him uh, on a more of an everyday basis. And let's be honest with Colin, Terry Collins and the way he uses his outfielders, and he likes the platoon system if it's possible. And, you know, let's understand that there's probably actually maybe even not. I mean, thinking San Diego might actually go with Clayton Richard, the left-hander, on opening day. So, if obviously, if Richard, the left-hander, is is going out there, and the Mets' opening day outfield will probably be Cowgill and um, Marlon Bird. So, I think that's something that has to be looked at. But uh, listen, I, I, w- I would take a shot with Valdespin at this point. I mean, uh, you know, I, yes, I would sign Brennan Bosch. I mean, he's a guy that I think, uh, at the very least gives you some consistency in the outfield in the outfield a guy that can run out there for the most part uh for mostly every day and i think it's a i think it's a spot where you you got to get more major league type outfielders in here because Mar- marlon bird listen he could come back and have a season like he had about three four years ago before he got paid with the chicago cups but he also might go out there and do what he did last year what was he for the cups he was like three for 41 or something like that you know, a ridiculous slump that he was in. And I think it's a situation where it just has to be looked at. But we're going to take this call in. I believe this is Randy Marshall. Randy, you there, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. How you doing, man? Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Yeah, no problem. All right, man. First first thing I want to go over, and I will touch on it a little, you know, for a couple different times throughout this. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're a pitcher that, you know, obviously through through the, year, the early 90s got a, got a chance to pitch a lot in the minors. But – uh, to me, your numbers are staggering enough that I don't understand why you didn't get a shot in the major leagues. Well, that's uh, uh, it's something I've dealt with too, John. Oh, absolutely. Of course, I've had a lot of guys that went to bat for me that I played with that went on uh, who didn't understand it either. But for whatever reason, 92, I got called up with the Mets uh, to take Dwight Gooden's spot in the rotation because he was having some issues and uh, was verbally told by at the time, Steve Phillips, which is, uh, he was an ESPN commentator for a while. Well, eventually the Mets uh, general manager. That's right. And uh, he pulled me aside after I just got done beating Toledo and uh, said, you're going up to take good and spot in the rotation. I was a hot hand at AAA at the time, not just the Mets. And uh, 
one week led to another. Uh, they, they were waiting for him to come back into town into Shea, and it, one week turned into the remainder of the season. Uh, Clint Hurdle was my manager at the time, and Bob Epideka, and um, they couldn't give me a, a, a reason. It, it wasn't none of their doing, but for whatever reason, I think they went out and just picked up a free agent and kept me there. Ninety-five, I got called up with Detroit. Um, sent me down for a routine checkup with my arm. Um, again, I was pitching great in the International League, top two guys, um, and I failed the the test as far as strength test uh, at the uh, with the Tigers Hospital that they use. So with their team team position, so I've had a little bit of bad luck at the same time, but. I don't think my numbers were that bad enough to, to merit me staying at AAA. And no question about it, man. And I'll tell you, one season really stands out to me. You look at the season you had in 1990 where you're you 13-0 and 0 for the, the, the Fayetteville team, and you end up going 20-2 and 2 with a 2.12 ERA. And I understand yeah. that's at lower lower levels. Within the next year, you're up pitching in AAA. And I just, yeah. I, I mean, the way I look at it, I, mean, I, I understand this is something that you obviously went through a lot more than you know somebody like me that's just just reading this off, but I, I tell you, man, I mean, for 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 a guy to have that type of success in the in the minor leagues, particularly at AAA, I mean, it it, it blows my mind how you 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 never got a you never got a call uh, in a you never got in a game. Yeah, I you know it's funny, John. I I think in '92, there was only two of us off that whole AAA team, and that was guys like uh, um, Tim Salmon, um, Jeff Conine. Um, you, you name it. It was a, kind of a who's who. Oh, uh, um, the guy, shortstop with the Atlanta Braves. Um, we were loaded with fellows. Chris Chambliss was our manager, uh, and I think it was me. I got uh, me and a guy named Joey Vieira were the only two guys off that AAA team that didn't go to the big leagues that year. Um, that was in '92. That was my first AAA All-Star team, and then in '95 it was Jeter and Bernie Williams and. Gerald Williams, and um, it was more of a, a no, Pedro, Pedro Martinez and uh, Mike Piazza was on my 92. But it was just a ton of talent uh, during that early, mid-90s uh, of AAA guys, and I don't know if I can blame it on the, the just the amount of talent was coming through or if I was just a guy that was expendable based on my round that I got drafted in, and uh, each year it was a crunch I think, John, for a guy like me, I'm not supposed to last. I'm not supposed to be around. And when they continue to draft these guys and give them the kind of money they do, um, as they say in ball, you know, you this guy's got nine lives because, well, they've got money in him. And uh, they can let me go tomorrow and, and not think twice about it. So there's always a, always a shuffle of making sure that certain guys get moved along, whether they performed or not. And I remember distinctly guys, uh, my squad, Tony Clark, uh, Bobby Hickinson, some of these guys going into the manager's office on my behalf and saying, why are you keeping this guy down here? So, you know, I, I can't get answers out of them, and uh, it's not really my job. It have been up to my agent to do that at the time. But, uh, you know, for whatever reason, it, it just didn't work. And I went to camp all the time. With, with different teams, including the Rockies. Um, but, um, you know, unless they've got an investment in you, um, I don't think that uh, there's really a loss. There, there's nothing for them to lose, so it's just no big deal. They can keep you there. You're a backup. You're a safe um, asset in case they need you. Yeah, no question. Once again, this is John Pialli. I'm here with former left-hand pitcher Randy Marshall, pitched in the uh, Tigers and the Mets organization. Now, when you when, you know, you obviously had that good start the the twenty one season in nineteen ninety with the with the Tigers A and uh, a, a you know high A league. Um, you end up getting traded, you know, of course, to the Mets in nineteen ninety two in a trade that uh, looks like sends Paul Gibson over to the Mets as well for Mark Carrion and Tony Castillo. At the at this point, when you were traded, did you feel that you had a better chance of cracking a big league roster? That was the year. Yeah. That was the year that I was told not just by staff, but by Sparky Anderson himself, that that I was going to be their guy. I was going to go wow. up. It was going to be Paul and, and myself, and I think we had a couple other guys there that had a chance. But 
I had come off that, that really good season. The Tigers had sent me down to Mexico uh, to work on some off-speed stuff. So I spent my months down there um, playing in the Caribbean World Series, the whole shot. I come Right before I come home, I get a phone call from uh, Bo Schimbackler, who at the time was the Tigers' uh, president, okay. and to tell me that I had been traded. And then uh, shortly after that, I received a phone call from the Mets to tell me welcome aboard. Totally thrown off, uh, shocked me. Uh, I was at that time one of the big prospects, and and I think rightly so. But uh, um, what what really bothered me was that the Tigers had no intent to trade me. But I guess Clint Hurdle was the reason that the trade happened. He pushed for me. Um, he wanted Paul Gibson. Um, the Tigers said no, and then um, I think they pushed enough the Mets that the Tigers went ahead and. Uh, kept me from being protected and threw me in on the deal. So, yeah, no, man, listen, man, I, I tell you, man, it's uh, it's it's hard for me from like from my perspective to like you know to express how like I I feel for something like that because it's a it's a situation where you look at a guy that you know. I mean, in my opinion, and probably the opinion of a lot of other people that you talked to and you know went up to bat for you. That you you deserved at least at least a crack at a major a major league roster, a chance to make a couple starts. I mean, if you went out if you went out there and failed, at least you could say that you, you got the chance. I mean, you continued you know through the better part of the early '90s up until you know '95 and '96 when you're back with Detroit, still putting yeah. up respectable numbers. I mean, yeah. to to me, that should have been at least warranted a September call up. Yeah, it, it, I think at one point, John, I think I was just getting disheartened by the whole process. It wasn't anymore just about how well you did or the numbers so much as it is uh, the political aspect kicks in. And, and um, you know, I'm, what I mean by that is, is I just think that um, I don't know if it's always just money, but like I had said earlier, I, I think certain guys uh, that are getting pushed along through in the system um, certain scouts that have scouted certain kids, uh, put a certain amount of money into certain kids, they, they tend to get a pass. And, and the hard work is second, plays second fiddle to all that, um, the numbers. And with me, it was a matter of survival. I had to put those numbers up just to keep my job. Um, I'm not that, that bonus baby. I'm not that big uh, money guy. So... You know, like I said, I, I had to do it, and it was a, um, out of the need of survival. Um, and, yes, I had plenty of guys going to bat for me. It was never me not thinking I had the ability. It was just a matter of them giving me the opportunity. And I think I proved it in camp. Uh, I remember in, on occasion Don Baylor constantly bringing me with the, with the main club when I was with the Rockies um, because he liked my stuff. And... Um, you know, like I said, the Tigers and, and the Mets had the opportunity and verbally told me uh, I was going up. It just didn't work out. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, I'm proud of what I accomplished for just a guy out of nowhere, where obscurity, I guess. But, uh, you know, that's just kind of the way it works. Yeah, no question about it. Once again, this is John P. Allium here with Randy Marshall. Now, uh, do you, I mean, I guess it kind of takes me to this question. Do you feel, are, are you did you feel like you accomplished uh, enough in your opinion? Do you feel like you had you had enough success and there's maybe nothing that anybody could say about it even you know even though you got to where you got to? Um, you know the, the one regret I guess I should say that I have is that I I gave up on the game. I had signed the 97 um, with the Dodgers that contacted me um, to go play overseas and I took that opportunity, and I think about midway in the season, uh, I was leading their their major leagues over there in pitching stats. And in midway season, I, I was so disheartened by the whole process of how it all panned out that I, I literally just gave up on the game and came home and never looked back um, and, and received phone calls uh, two, three years even after um, I retired from the game for me to come to camp. I just, it just left a bitter taste in my mouth. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd realize that the game is not as pure as it's uh, presented sometimes. Yeah, so you, so you think maybe there was like a little bit of uh, maybe perhaps bitterness on your end from what had happened before? Maybe that forced you to kind of leave the game maybe earlier than you should? 
Absolutely. I, I, don't, I think my arm never felt better when I was in uh, overseas. I, I think it felt about as good as it was ever going to feel. It wasn't a matter of an injury or anything like that. It was more of a mental, um, you know, and you can't, you, it's just like going to any job. You know, you've got to like it and you, you've got to love it at some points. And uh, I, I lost the love and the, and, the, and the passion for it because of the way it operated. So, Nah, I hear you, man. Listen, uh, I thank you for having some time today, Randy. I hope to get you on sometime in the near future. I think it was, you know, it was great talking to you. Uh, you know, sorry about you know rehashing on some of the things that that didn't go well there. I mean, uh, you, you had a fine career, and in, in my opinion, and listen, probably a lot of people a lot more important than me agree with this that you should have pitched in the major leagues, man. Thanks, thanks so much, John. I appreciate it. All right, no problem, Randy. Take care. Thank you. And that was Randy Marshall, former pitcher in Mets, Tigers, and Rockies organization. I tell you, the numbers speak for itself, dude. This guy should have gotten the crack at it. But uh, listen, we're going to take a quick break, man. We got, uh, you know, we're going to call, uh, reach out to Calvin Pickering in a little bit, and uh, we're going to take, you know, this little break for MTR, man. We'll be back. More going on in Passball Show after this. MTR Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Lamore from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for... Don't forget to tap that app in the Android market and iTunes Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. What's up, everybody? This is James Flippin, and you're rocking with the crew on MTR Radio. Welcome to MTRRadio.com. You can listen to our live programming Monday through Friday. Get your voice heard. And on Facebook and Twitter at MTR Radio. You can put this together, right? I like to tap that app on MTR Radio. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Um. MTR. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android Market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. (laughs) MTR Radio. Hey, everyone. This is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android Market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. (laughs) MTR Radio. I love MTR Radio because of its uh, innovative direction. That's a bunch of shit. I love MTR Radio because they accept me. Knucklehead. Hey everyone, this is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Trending today on Twitter. MTR. Welcome back, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Uh, we just had a little commercial break there. Now we're going to reach out to uh, former Major League First Baseman designated hitter Calvin Pickerig. And uh, Calvin, of course, played for the Orioles, Red Sox, Reds, Royals, as well as some time in the minor league. So we're going to reach out to him, see how this works out. And, you know, if not, we're just going to jump into something else. Uh, Hello. Hey, is Calvin? Hey, how you doing, man? John Pielli, Passball Show on TR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Oh, no problem. How you doing? Ah, pretty good, man. Pretty good. Yeah, first, man, uh want to get into you uh you still involved in the game at all man or yeah you, you know is this a, was that just a phase or you know what are you up to nowadays oh man I, i'm not coaching with any affiliated teams yet um you know, i've been trying and stuff and you know, i'm just out here you know coaching kids and training them and stuff you know what i'm saying in california so you know i started out a little you know training academy that i have going so you know trying to develop the kids in the right way and teach them the right way to how to play the game you know what i'm saying no, that's cool, man. You think you think as far as when you when you came up and you ended up playing, of course, in the major leagues for you know about five seasons or so. Did you feel like you got the right coaching, the right uh, the right right type of people that you were a hold of as you as you were moving up through the systems? 
Well, you know, um, coming up, you know, from the islands and stuff, then basically you have to do it, and you do it by yourself. And I ain't really had the right, you know, coaching and stuff. Um, you know, basically it was just our talent. You know, I'm playing against older, older um, guys and stuff, and that's how I, you know, I pretty much developed my um, my skills and my game. So um, when I came to the States, it was just pretty much going back to my age bracket, and I was pretty much a lot um, more advanced than the regular average 15-year-old because playing against 21-year-old at 13-year-old, you know, you have to step up your game. So, you know, now these days, you know, it's, it's hard to find coaches out here to teach kids the right way. You know what I mean? Um, you know, you find them, they think they know where they're going, but really they don't. You know, and I'm not, you know, at least they're trying. But you want, you know, you want to give your kids the best opportunity. And if I mean, from what I learned coming up through the organizations that I've been with, especially in Baltimore, being around a lot of the veteran players and myself and learning a lot, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to give back and coach kids and teach them how to play the right way. Nah, that sounds good, man. Once again, it's John Pialy. I'm here with uh, former Major League First Baseman D.H. Calvin Pickering. And uh, Calvin, you, you know, you were obviously the third player uh, to make the major leagues from uh, the St. Thomas Island, 10th overall from the Virgin Islands. Uh, how is baseball over in the islands? Is it, is, it, is, it a, is it a thing where a lot of people gravitate towards, or is it a situation where there isn't as much baseball as there is in a lot of other parts you know, of the country and even, uh, even the, uh, the, uh, the eastern part of the world? I mean, actually, um, you know, like you said, you know, I pretty much was the third one coming out of my island. Not the St. Thomas, you know, St. Croix is pretty much a bigger island and have more major league players coming out of there, like Horace Clark and those guys. You know, um, St. Thomas, you know, they baseball is pretty much a really booming around, you know, little league up in 13 to 15 years old. After that, you know, it's pretty it slows down a lot. So a lot of kids have to leave the island to be seen, you know. Um, now, since you know, I was able to break the barrier with 30 years after 30 years, you know, someone making it to the major league for my island, you know, I'm fortunate. Um, a lot more kids are able to get drafted and being able to leave the island and show their talent, you know, and, um, you know, I opened a lot of doors on there for, you know, those guys, you know, after me was my brother and then my cousin, you know, and now then it was Kalex Frob and then, you know, there's a few other guys right now in the minor league system, you know, and the mess and around it, you know, the professional system myself going on and playing. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, a lot of guys are getting an opportunity now to, you know, show their, show off their talent. I mean, because basically we have a lot of talent in the island. We just need to be seen. And being a small island, you know, fortunate you have to leave the island for someone to give you the opportunity. Now, now, is it a case now that it's changed at all? Can you get discovered from just being on the island now, or you still have to you still have to leave uh, for the most part to get a good uh, to, for people to get a good look at you nowadays? Uh, I, I, I I said you have to leave because the baseball, like I said, it dies down around fifteen years. You know, when you turn fifteen. And 16 years old, and those are crucial years, you know what I'm saying? And to, you know, there's not too many scouts go down there unless someone um, give them a call. You know, I was lucky, lucky to be seen at age 13 years old, you know, when we went to Venezuela and playing, you know, and they followed me and stuff. And coming down there, and um, Elrod Hendricks came down, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, things... Um, things started to open up and stuff. You know, my first letter was from the Blue Jays when I got a letter from, you know, I was 13, 14 years ago, got a letter from the Blue Jays. I was like, wow, I'm going to get drafted from the Blue Jays. But I ended up getting drafted from Baltimore. So, you know, um, you know, I was happy, you know, pretty much, like I said, a lot of Dodgers. The Dodgers, were um, they go down there pretty often. But, you know, you ha- I think you have to leave, you know, and um, go to, you know, most kids go up to Tampa go to Florida and, you know, go to high school and hopefully get an opportunity to get drafted, you know. Now, I hear you, man. Now, listen, throughout your minor league career, I mean, you put up some good numbers, hit 246 home runs, uh, seven years of 20, 20 or more home runs. Um, do, you, do you feel like you got a fair uh, a fair crack at it as far as being a major leaguer? Uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for what I, you know, I, I did my put up. I did. 
put up great numbers my whole career. Um, I swing the bat. I played, you know, that the best I can, you know. And I got the opportunity to make it one within three years of getting drafted. Yeah, with Baltimore giving me the opportunity. So I'm happy and I'm grateful for that opportunity. Um, fortunate, you know, I got her at crucial, a crucial time in my career, you know, times that I felt like the door was, um, that I was able, was going to be able to get that job. And, you know, I told my hotel attendant, you know, in 2000 and then, you know, I got traded to Boston and, you know, got over there and swung the back good. And I thought I had another, you know, opportunity in 2002 and, Fortunately, I told my other hotel attendant, you know, so those two crucial years, 2000 and 2002, you know, was pretty much, I think that would have been my opportunity. Um, before then, you know, coming up in Baltimore, I was pretty much blocked by, you know, a lot of the veteran players, you know, had pretty much all Hall of Famers in front of me in Baltimore, yeah. even up to down to the DH, you know, um, Howard Bain, Palmero, Will Clark, you know, Jeff Cornine, you know, pretty much it was a veteran team. So it was pretty hard to crack that system at that time. I mean, you had Alomar second base. You know, it, it, it's like they had a really good team coming up when I was 21 back in 1998. So, you know, I think I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, um, and it worked. That's how that's how the the, card, the coin flipped. So I mean, I can't say that I didn't have a good chance. You know what I mean? But you know, things happen for a reason. You know what I'm saying? But I'm happy for you know what I did in my career, and, you know, um, I'm grateful. I can't, you know, I don't have any sour taste in my mind about anything. I'm just happy that I had the opportunity to play yeah, as long yeah, as no, I can. No question, man. It looks like you got the right attitude, man. And, uh, and I'll tell you, man, if you look at your, you know, what, what you did in the major leagues, and it was, you know, for a better part of about maybe five seasons that you ended up, I mean, your numbers for that spot were not bad. Slugging percentage, you hit 14 home runs, you know, had 10 doubles. It looks like you showed that you had some power. Um, you know, as, as you move on, you end up playing in the uh, Korean Baseball League in 2006. Tell us a little bit about that and, you know, what you were feeling as you went in there. Uh, you know, it, it was fun, man, playing over there. It's a different atmosphere, you know. Um, it's more live, you know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, I know if you're watching the World Classic, um, you watch out Japan Stadium go at – you know, when they're playing, how the Japan team playing and how the fans are, that's pretty much how it is from first inning to the last pitch. You know, it's live. It's like no dull moment. You can't, it's no boring moment at all. You just pump and you just go because the crowd just keeps you on it. Um, you know, and that's what was fun. Uh, you know, I had a good um, stand over there, you know what I'm saying? I wish it was longer. But at the time that I was playing with the team, unfortunately, you know, the, all the pitch, the started pitchers them got hurt, and you know they needed they needed players. So you know, rather than keeping us, I mean, I was leading the team in home runs and you know second in average, or leading the team in home runs and RBIs, and they got rid of the top two import players, me and this other Japanese kids that was swinging the bat and to just bring in pitching. So, you know, like I said, you know, that didn't, you know, work out for me and stuff. And I wish I was able to stay longer. Because, I mean, I think it would have been fun. And, you know, you know, my goal was to actually get to Japan. But it didn't work out that way. But, like I said, you know, I mean, that's, you know, I did that. And, you know, I was able to travel and see the other side of the world and see how them boys play over there. And it was, uh, it was fun. Yeah, and now you, as you move on, you end up going playing in a, uh, some independent leagues, the Northern League, the Atlantic League. Um, did you ever hit a point where you really, you really felt like you were getting a maybe a chance to get back to the major leagues? Uh, not really. Um, you know, I wasn't. You know, when I, in 2007 I saw when I came back and I had shoulder surgery, um, I wasn't really. I had too much, you know, go thinking about and stuff. So I wasn't really focusing and uh, playing. You know, so I would just, I just went just to. To, to do it and have fun and, you know, try to, you know, get back in the game. But I wasn't really, you know, pushing it, you know what I'm saying? So it was, you know, it was easy. You know, I had a little son home, you know, and I just wanted to, you know, I was like, you know what, he's starting to play ball, you know, so let me just, you know, shut it down. I'd rather be home watching him play. You know, I'd be home with the family, you know, I did it for 14 years. So it was like, you know, it was, you know, you know when that time was up because after a while you, you just start, Playing, you know, playing the game for 
for money. And when you start doing that, it was just like, you know what? That's not what it's about. You know what I'm saying? I love playing this game, and if I'm not going to give it 110% on the field, then, you know, it's time to walk away if you're not feeling it like that. So, you know, that's what I did. I was, you know, I was content with what I did in my career, and, you know, it was, you know, time to hang it up, and I just hang it up, and I say, you know what, it's time to go home and, you know, train kids and um, teach kids, you know, what I thought, what I learned over the years of play. Yeah, no question about it, man. It seems like you, you ended up doing the right thing. Now, going back to your major league career, when you are when you were playing, you know, with, whether it was the Orioles, and you mentioned you, you know, kind of being uh, blocked from you know getting a chance to play with guys like Will Clark, Rafael Palmaro, Harold Baines, Jeff Conine, those guys. Um, was there ever a chance when you were on a major league team that you felt like you had a chance to really break in and get an everyday spot? Maybe maybe with the Royals yeah. later on after after your injury. Yeah, you know, um, I, I thought I honestly thought I had that shot with the Royals. You know, um, coming out. The 2004 season when I hit 42 home runs the whole year after, you know, and I probably would have hit more if I didn't miss a month and a half of the season, you know, with a concussion, you know, I probably would have hit probably 50 or 60 because I was locked in at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought it would have, you know, I made a team in 2005 and, you know, it just, it, it, I don't know what happened, to be honest, you know, I made the team as a starting DH and, you know, a, it just changed, I guess, because um, we wasn't, you know, we was losing another game early and panic shit is setting, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, I just don't know what happened in front office. And, you know, I, I didn't get the fair opportunity at that time. You know, like I said, I was the starting DH, but I only had seven games and 21 at bats or something like that in like a month and a half. So it didn't add up, you know what I'm saying? And then at the same time, I... You know, my son was, um, my wife gave birth to my first our son, you know, um, at the beginning of the season. So, you know, it was just a whole bunch of stuff going on. And, you know, I just didn't think that, you know, I didn't, I didn't get the, you know, the fair shot, like I said, you know, to, to go out there and um, let me play the whole season. I think if I had the opportunity to play a whole season up there, I would put up crazy numbers. I mean, it, it you know, everybody know that, you know, the second half I takes over. So, you know, the first half is pretty much feeling everything other and then exploding the second half. You know, um, but, you know, I was fortunate I didn't have the opportunity. And, you know, like I said, I'm I'm happy that they gave me the shot. You know, I'm I'm grateful that they gave me the opportunity to go up there and play. And, you know, I have no sour taste, you know what I'm saying? I'm, you know, I, I'm thankful, you know, like I have, I had a bunch of great guys over there too, you know, and I learned a lot from them, man the coaching staff and, you know, the front office and, you know, Sweeney and stuff like that. So, I mean, even though it didn't work out over there also, which I thought, you know, I had a good shot at, you know, staying there and, you know, putting up good numbers and making, um, being on that Kansas City team for a long time, you just didn't fall that way. You know, for some reason, I have no idea. <laughs> no, listen, man, I tell you, for what you did in the minors, hitting 246 home runs, you know, like you said, you had that 40 home run season. Uh, you, you proved yourself as a power hitter. I mean, you know, it was it, it was evident that you could go there, hit for some power, hit for some home runs, and even even what you ended up doing on, on the major league level in your limited time. I mean, it just showed that you had the power. And l- listen, man, I want to thank you for having some time to be part of the show today. And hopefully, I can speak to you again sometime in the near future, Calvin. Uh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. You know, anytime. You know, um, you need me uh, want to talk, I'm here. You know, just shoot me a text, and you know, we get it done. Yeah, definitely, man. Listen, best of luck with everything you're doing with the with the coaching, and you know, hopefully, you're uh, getting the next generation of uh, baseball players ready for for the next stage. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying. You know, I got a little one coming up right now that loves playing and stuff. You know, and you know, I have some good talent out here. You know, that I'm working with, and you know, I'm also trying to get into professional coaching. Also, you know, so you know, I'm just trying to get back in the game and. Hopefully, you know, I get a shot from a team or something to go out there and um, show, give back what I was taught from the older guys. You know, like I said, you know, I came up to, under some good players, you know, Kyle Rickin and all those boys, you know what I'm saying? So I learned a lot too over the years and all the organization I've been around and stuff like that. So I'm just want to get that get opportunity to get go back and um, coach and you know, hopefully I could get back with the organization. Yeah, no question about it. Listen, Calvin, I want to thank you for having some time, man. And like I said, dude, we'll definitely be in touch, my friend. 
Thank you very much. Hey, take care. That was Calvin Pickering, and Calvin, of course, was a, a first baseman designated hitter for a good portion of his career. But I tell you, he put up some really good numbers uh, throughout the minors and, well, maybe not quite as extreme as Randy Marshall. And I tell you, you know, it's good that I had these two guys on at the same time because, you know, I think it's real easy to forget about the uh, uh, politics in a game and sometimes uh, just the situation of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And to get back on Randy Marshall for a second, a guy that, listen, put up nothing but numbers in the minor leagues, ended up in, in spring training camps and stuff like that, uh, got the job done. The guy should have gotten at least a cup of coffee. He should have got at least a couple starts in September sometime. He should have at least gotten the opportunity to put on, and I'm sure he got the chance to put on the big league uniform during his couple call-ups, but to go out there and pitch and at least know for himself whether he could have done it. Because the, the numbers back it up. And the same thing with Calvin Pickering. Calvin was a guy that, uh, you know, of course, you know, like he just told us, the, you know, the, the injury in 2002 that he had was devastating because that, that was probably the prime of his career, the absolute time where he should have gone out there and had the chance to shine. And, of course, it ended up uh, you know, being held off with the injuries. But here's a guy that 95 games in his career over the course of five seasons – uh, 98, 99 with the Orioles, 2001 with the Reds and Red Sox, 2004 with the Royals, 2005 with the Royals. 95 career games, hit just 223, but in 264 at-bats, had 10 doubles, a triple, 14 homers, 45 RBIs, slugging percentage of 428. Now, to me, to me that, that would be enough for a team, particularly like the Kansas City Royals, who weren't, weren't very good. And let's be honest, they haven't been good for a while. We're, you know, I think us as baseball people kind of analyzing them a little bit. We think they've taken that next step to go to the next level. But they still haven't been that good for a while. And, and to me, for a guy like this to be up there in 2005, only getting 27 at-bats after winning the job as a starting DH in spring training, I mean, it just shows there's, there's politics involved. Not just that our everyday jobs that we have. You know, out, you know, outside of things, but for professional baseball players, for all different types of people in this world, they got to. And I tell you, hopefully, you guys got to hear. And, and in my opinion, I heard I heard two touching stories from Randy Marshall and Calvin Pickering, two guys that were more talented than they got a chance to show that they were. But we're going to finish up this hour. We we're talking a little bit before about the what the Mets should do with their outfield. And I, and I, th- I think I, th- I think Brennan Bosch, in my opinion, would be a, a good acquisition. And honestly, not just from the perspective of what he could do on the field and the possibility he could go out there and maybe hit 15 to 20 home runs if he gets everything going, if he's at his best. But I think it would in, in exalt a little bit more pride or happiness or energy to the New York Mets fans. Because let's be honest, this guy isn't that old. You're not looking at a guy that's, you know, 36 years old. This isn't, you know, Gary Sheffield of 2009. This is a guy who's had some success in the major leagues. And here's here's a guy that just, let's be honest, is, is, is part of the numbers game with the Detroit Tigers. You know, he's not, he's not a guy that's, uh, that's, that's lost it by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, if you look at what he did a couple of years ago, I mean, he's had three full seasons in the major leagues, 133 games, 115 games, 132 games, and he's put up 1467, 1654, 1254. I understand that, you know, he, he wasn't a factor in the postseason last year. Strikeouts, yeah, a little bit high. You know, you figure most, most regular players are going to strike out around 100 times. So this wasn't like Kirk Neuenheis high. This was, you know, this is a guy that can go out there and put up some numbers. And, you know, the guy hit 283 in 2011 and was very productive on a Detroit Tigers team that was good. A Detroit Tigers team that was, that was postseason bound. And here's a guy that I think at age, you know, age 28 right now. I mean, he's not even that old. We're not talking about a 40-year-old guy coming in here taking a spot of a younger guy. This is a guy at age 28 that, in my opinion, could be effective. And if you put him in there with the mix that they got now, and you know we've talked about Valdespin, and I would put, if I had a choice, Valdespin is one of my starting outfielders with Marlon Byrd and Duda as far as being the best of what they got, sprinkle in a little Colin Calgill. 
But I, I think the Mets got to go after this one. You know, he's a guy that got, you know, just, you know, excuse me, he got just uh, 16 at-bats in spring training. He wasn't really hitting. He wasn't tearing a cover off the ball. But the Tigers did the right thing, number one, by saving themselves money by paying one-sixth of his contract when they released him. And number two, they give Bosch a chance to catch on with somebody else before spring training's over. I'm pretty sure he's going to end up with somebody. I'm pretty sure he's going to end up with, with a team. And, and, and I just think the Mets, listen, the Mets can't bank on this as being their, their big splash. This isn't their Michael Bourne. This isn't their big-time their big signing. But this is a guy that they could bring in here for the league minimum and run out there for two more weeks in spring training and see if this guy could be an everyday outfielder for them. Because he wasn't going to be an everyday outfielder for the Tigers. The Tigers signed Torrey Hunter to play right field. Uh, Avizio Garcia was up there. Uh, Andy Dirks. Yeah, they got enough players that they're going to kind of work them in to play left field for them. The DH obviously is set, we know that, with Victor Martinez. So the, the Tigers really had a numbers game here. And you're looking at a situation where here's a guy that really has a chance to kind of have a second win to his career. You know, as a guy that probably spent a little more time in the minor leagues than some other players. He obviously got the chance in 2010. He broke out fifth in the American League in a rookie of the year voting during that season. And he's been steady. He hasn't been dominant. He hasn't been great. But he's been steady over the past three seasons. And in my opinion, I mean, you look at what the Mets, and and I'll I'll put put this season up there. And I'll I'll show you, uh, let's see, his rookie season in 2010. He went out there, 256 average, 14 homers, 67 RBIs, 26 doubles for the Tigers as a rookie in 2010. Is there a Met outfielder that could put up numbers like that? And the answer is maybe. Lucas Duda might go out there and hit 30, 35 home runs this season. But uh, would, you, would you put that as one spot in your outfield? Jason Bay couldn't do that last year. And Jason Bay is a guy who, uh, you know, the many 30 home run seasons, the big contract and all. They couldn't get that out of Jason Bay last year. And, and I, I have a hard time seeing it. I mean, Colin Cowgill looks like a looks like a young prospect. You looked at him a couple years ago at Arizona, and he was obviously more high rated than he is right now. He was he was a centerpiece, a main cog in a trade that the Diamondbacks made with the Oakland Athletics for Trevor Cahill. So he, he's a guy that, that that is worth a chance. He's worth a spot on this roster. But what's wrong with a little bit of depth? And I think if the guy could go out there, you could add a Bosch. You know, as a fourth outfielder slash maybe part-time starter, I think it's the way to go. But listen, I want to thank Randy Marshall. want to thank Calvin Pickering for joining us in the first hour of the Pass Ball Show. We've got a lot more coming out. We're at a break for five minutes. So we'll be back with a lot more here going on in the MTR Radio Network, the MTR Radio Network, Pass Ball Show, John Pielli. MTR Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTR Radio.